Hello and welcome to the Boyce of Reason podcast. This is Benjamin Boyce, your host, and today's guest is Sean Kamick. Sean Kamick is a recent graduate from the University of Chicago, where he attained a master's degree in sociology, and his thesis was The Evergreen Affair a social justice society. So what Sean has done is taken the video footage that I have amassed over the three years that I've been studying the 2017 Evergreen State College protests, and he submits all that data to some quite fascinating sociological voodoo and comes up with the story or the description of a moral community that is operating at that point in history. What happened at Evergreen in 2017 has been widely replicated in 2020, and Sean's research actually provides us some amount of understanding into what is actually operating in these different anti-racist or anti-discrimination movements. So without further ado, here is Sean Kamek. You're the first expert. I'm the first expert, yeah. Aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. What, why did you choose Evergreen? I mean, it was... There's, there's two reasons. Um, you know, I, like, like, like everyone else watching it, I was just, like, confused and, like, enthralled by what was going on. Like, what the hell? What is this? Right? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, so there was, that, that was always just kind of like niggling away th- through like the years before my, I, I went back to school. And then when I was at school, I was like searching for a project and, and that popped back up. I was like, maybe I could do something investigating this. And then when I reached out to you and you sent me your archive, it's like, well, this is the best data set. Like, I've got to do it now. This is the best. I, I brought it to my advisor. And he was like, yeah, you have to do it now. He gave you data. You have to do it. I was like, hell yeah, I'll, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that was it. Um, it's just fascinating. It's just, it's just really fascinating. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, I think a lot of people who deal with it are only, they're either very dismissive of it or, or purely critical of it instead of trying to understand it before they criticize. Now, criticism is super important, particularly with the way that they see the world. Like, it needs criticism to sort of keep it from derailing and taking over other things. Um, But I I thought that a lot of the discourse around Evergreen was like, oh, they're crazy, immature students running amok, and this is... We should just mock them. And while some of it's very mockable and open for mocking... um, we, we, we should really understand it first um, before we... At least for me, I wanted to understand it before I went and said, okay, no, this is something that maybe we should be very cautious about um, buying into and going into. Okay. Yeah. What, what counts as understanding? What are the parameters of understanding? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, there's two ways... Like, they have a way they see the world, right? And you can understand it kind of the way like maybe like Lindsay, James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose do, which is like really full, like in the content of what they believe, like the fully explicated content. This is, you know, they think the world is this, or America is like a white supremacist power structure. I think the way that I wanted to understand it was more along like the, stru- like the structure of how, how they believe, describing the, the, the form of what they believe. Um, without any sort of moral valence to it or any sort of like criticism 
or value proposition in there. So I can just stand back and say, okay, this is how their belief system sort of works. This is a way to describe it that isn't affirming it or criticizing it, like just out the gate. Um, but yeah, and I, I don't think I totally get it, but I think I've moved towards getting it. Um, I think there's a whole lot more that people could do. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like even with your archive, like that could people could go through that again and again and again, and we'd learn something new, something more. There's some stuff in in the the research that I didn't include in the thesis that I really would love that could go where the people could go into a lot more. Yeah. What are the parameters of uh, what you studied then about Evergreen? Like a date range or yeah, all right, sure. Um, so my sort of I, I I put it the furthest data I go back to is 2017. There was a focus group done in 2017, which you might be you know, you're probably familiar with. Um, it, it was just a Evergreen did a focus group where they interviewed a bunch of um, students of color about their experiences and and then they put out this summary of it and I and that was like my. My, my, my starting point I coded that and then all the way up to um, that like climactic couple of days in that in the in the end of the spring semester not quarter quarter it's quarter oh is it quarter yeah, oh it's, it's like you see okay cool cool okay like quarter um, that was sort of my my date range but I, I really focused in on those couple of days mostly back to like November with the canoe meeting um which was kind of, yeah, no, yeah, it was, yeah, was November 16th. 16th, right? Because um, that's where most of the data, that's where all the video was, right? So that's mostly what I focused on. Um, and there's a good criticism that I got from someone about that, because it's like, well, this is, could this possibly be amplified, right? Could there, the way they see the world be amplified because you're only really looking at this in a very animated, polarized sort of time? That's a really good criticism. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly, po certainly possible it is, but at the very least, I get to see it when it is fully explicate, when it is fully like going at 100, I, can s I think we can see the structures of it more clearly. So I think that actually worked okay. in my favor. Okay. Um, but I'm like my the discipline that I study in is cultural psychology, um, and the maxim of cultural psychology is that culture and psyche make each other up. So there's this really like you you really focus on the ideas underpinning people's individual attitudes, and then individual attitudes can go into social action and organization. So really looking at there's the sort of moral foundations. Like John Haidt looks at moral foundations, right? Um, uh, look, looking to those ideas, how they see the world, how they perceive themselves, and how that sort of underpins action. That's that's one way to do cultural psychology. It's a rational reconstruction of the beliefs and practices of the other. That's one kind of cultural psychology. So that's basically what I was trying to do yeah. with Evergreen. And just shortly, what was your... Uh you said coding. You coded things. What, yeah. What's that about? Yeah, so my methodology was qualitative coding, um, which is a, a very... I really enjoy qualitative coding. Um, it is... You, you take a look... Hey, Katie. How are you? Um, you look at... Sorry. No, no. <laughs> She's there to be pet. Okay, good. Um, so coding is when you take a, a, a datum, a piece of information, and you apply some sort of label to it, a code. Right, like color coding. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. You okay. do a piece of data and you apply a label to it. 
And there's different techniques for doing that, right? So if I say if if I say something about my family, you can code that statement I made as family. Subject okay. references family. Okay. Right? Like okay. that. And then you go through all this information and you collect all these sorts of codes. You see, oh, lots of people are talking about family in reference to this. Or, and you start seeing patterns that emerge out of these codes that you've attributed to all this data. Okay. And then you categorize all of those codes and then you can sort of build theory and broader sort of conceptual arguments based on that information. Okay. Yeah. So more technically what that looks like is I watched every minute of your archive um, and when there was something that fell in my par the parameters of what I was looking for, which was attitudes, values, uh, beliefs, whenever they say something like that, or when they do certain things, ways that they sort of socially, physically shape themselves or order themselves, um, I would I would code that. I would say, oh, this is an attitude, you know, subject is against police, right? Doesn't want, you know, wants to defund the police. So I would code that attitude wants to defund the police. Um, and then I ha and I ended up with 1,700 of those. Wait, different tags or events that you tagged? Uh, pieces of information. Okay. So, huh. so 1,700 coded segments. Okay. Um, and then I start, you know, categorize and categorize as I go along, and then build my broader sort of argument out of out of that. Um, it's qualitative, so I mean, it's a subjective process. I, yeah. I'm being, you know, I'm trying to um, wrap my head around this, and there's a lot of subjective processes that go into that. But it's a pretty systematic way of going through big data sets of like yeah. qualitative information. As far as data sets go, how big is 1,700 data points? And it's pretty sizable. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty sizable. Um, it it's unique. What was unique about this is that it was a, mostly video, because a lot of times you're coding interview transcripts. You know, you interview someone, you transcribe their, you know, your conversation, and then you code those. Um, <laughs> but video, it, I mean, the fact that they filmed and streamed everything they did. Like that's that's very unique and new. In, I mean, because people didn't do that ten years ago. People didn't do that. Yeah. Maybe even five years ago, people didn't really do that. Um, so that's a really new kind of data that comes out. Yeah. Uh, so that was like uh, interesting to code it that way. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it though. The thing about Evergreen, just as a a story, well, what I conceive of as a story, mm -hmm. but you'd probably conceive of it as some other fancy. Uh, science word, um, is that it, it, it's complex enough to be very rich in detail, but it's not so complex that it's impossible to make sense of. Like something that's going on in Portland, 70 days of riots, um, you could probably see a lot of the same patterns going on there as you see at Evergreen, but it would be so much more work to actually go through and to really wrap your head around that. Do you feel that, that what do you feel about that, like how complex versus how simple the evergreen story uh, is it's you're right like because most of what was filmed at evergreen happened over a couple of days like within a week or so um it's just this little like slice of the, the slice of social life so there's a fairly you know clear beginning and end to that like climax of what was going on yeah. um but it, it i don't think evergreen is that simple. I think I think there's a lot more 
I think there's a lot more to be understood about it. Like, there's a political story to be understood about it. What do you mean by political? Like, how do institutional... How, how do actors who, who have this sort of worldview capture institutional positions and build coalitions within the school? Um, She's just going to come back. She's... <laughs> what a cutie. Um, <coughs> yeah, like, how do... How do how do actors gain positions in the institution and build coalitions? Okay. In politics, yeah. I mean, power. Like yeah, okay. like, yeah. Um, where did you know? Where did the 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 Equity Council, um, the Equity and Inclusion Council? Where did that come from? How how did that conversation get started in the institution? And then, because I mean, I know George like chartered it, but yeah. how did how did we get there? Um, yeah, there's definitely more to learn about it, mm-hmm. for sure. So what did, then did you study? What aspect of it do you think that you study? The, the behavior of the students or the behavior of like kind of that crowd at that time? It, what I was trying to understand or what I was trying to understand was the fundamental beliefs and moral orientations that underpinned that action okay. and those attitudes. Like the way that they see the world. And how, how did that underpin what they did? Okay. Um, very, yeah, very much so interested in their worldview. Yeah. So what what is this worldview? Do you have like a, a I can, label? Yeah. Well, it? it's hard. Um, I, I think it can be characterized in a couple of basic... I think there's a couple of parts of it. that, that the, the, the way that I characterize it in my research. Um, because any worldview has a couple of questions that it answers. And these are basically... Philosophical questions. It's like, what am I? Right? Um, what is? What is the nature of reality? What is true and what is good? You answer those questions and you've got yourself a worldview. Okay. Right? Um, so I, I kind of in, in I, I kind of structured my characterization of it around those ideas. Um, so what am I, right? Uh, the, well, the way that they see themselves, the way that they perceive themselves is as fundamentally part of an ethnic group. First and foremost, like group is at the ground floor of identity of the self. Okay. Um, they are parts of larger <laughs> ethnic collectives. It's it's ethno collectivism basically is okay. the way that they see themselves. Um, and this was I, I used some analysis of from a sociologist named Ann Wortham, who called it ethno race consciousness. And ethno race consciousness is basically that it's a it's a foundational, volitional level of awareness of oneself as fundamentally an ethnic group. Um, so what am I? I am a, I am a part of the white group. Okay. Right. That's that's how they see the self. There but isn't an I. That white group has a value, right? Yeah. There's or a relative value or an intrinsic value. You think? That's another part of this. I think that they're. I think the way that they see these groups, um, they, there's a sort of essence. I think there's a. I think they perceive these groups as having some sort of extrinsic essence, like blackness, whiteness. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. So the the black group isn't just the aggregate. Like blackness isn't just the aggregate will of black people. It's not. It's there's something like <laughs> like blackness is a metaphysical ideal. I think that's the way they see it. It's this. It's this ideal of how. It's this, it's this essence of black, right? And, and that, what that essence is, is like, well, there's, there's, there's cognitive authority. There's like this, this, pers- this, 
legitimate perception of the world. Um, there is sort of just revolution, reclamation, uh, like just power. I think these are all parts of that ideal. Hmm. Um, and, and the way that I think this sort of manifests is that like when a black person doesn't uphold this sort of worldview, we hear like, we're pulling your black card. We're revoking your black. You're, you're, you're rejecting your blackness. Yeah, ta right. Coates' uh, treatment of Kanye West. Yeah, there you go. Very that's explicit. A, that's exactly right. Or I thought that's how they treated Les Purse at the, at the um, Purse Hall building demonstration or yeah. building uh, dedication. dedication yeah. um, they treated him quite poorly. They, they treated him like they would have treated any person, regardless of color of skin, okay. I think. Um, and I think that's because he wasn't embracing his blackness. Okay. And because blackness is a sort of ideal okay. of it. Does that make sense? Do you think, extrapolating just from this, sure. just from the story, do you perceive uh, their version of blackness having to do with pure rebellion against the power structure? Can the blackness ever be in a power structure, or are all power structures inherently an, an outgrowth of whiteness? Because there's this one uh, Shamerica mm -hmm. in the 4300 room, uh, library room, uh, kind of that first main struggle section, struggle session, she says, all of our administrators are white, um, and this is how whiteness works. Whiteness is the most violent fucking system that's ever breathed, um, and the only way to solve it is through action, and that's why we're here, for action. So is there a way for blackness to be in power? I think so. I, 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 in, within their worldview, yeah, I think, I, think, I think their objection is to what they perceive as illegitimate power. I think they, mm -hmm. think they see the white power structure as ill-gotten. Okay. And, yeah, because the way that they ordered themselves the black students had the power, like within the evergreen group, the evergreen tribe, the way I, I paradigm I used, yeah. um, it was the black students and the, the students of color who had authority. They, they were in power and this was a good thing. Great. Um, uh, grasping our identities, knowing our power, the, the, you know, I think it was also Shamerica who said that. Um, yeah, no, no, they, they can absolutely be in power, and it can be legitimate. I, I don't think power, per se, is bad. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, to answer that question. They're not, they're certainly not egalitarians <laughs> who want to undo, like, huh. like hierarchies. It's okay. not that. It's, it's just hierarchies. Oh, okay. That's what they want, is a just hierarchy. Wait, that is really fascinating in the context of, from the ideological place of the administrators and the faculty who are teaching things of equity, it seems like they are trying to not necessarily dismantle hierarchies themselves, but level everything. They really want to bring everybody up and everybody down to make a leveling. So it seems like from, from that uh, administrator point of view, they're trying to correct the hierarchy by distributing power and resources evenly to, to create an equal outcome. But what you're describing here is that everything is a is a hierarchy, and the hierarchy must be implemented. And then, how do you think that that justifies um, their behavior? Why their behavior is an outgrowth of of that really that conception of power? Well, there's a way they see that there is a a just way that the world could be structured. The only reason it's not structured that way is because of oppression and oppression broadly speaking okay. and that 
they can be the ones to justly order the world. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's a real, there's a real sort of um, purity thing going on in the way that they talk and the way that they think. I, I think that because there, there, there's these two like ideals, blackness and whiteness, and, and blackness is this very positive, good ideal that parts of blackness, black people, should strive towards. Um, whereas whiteness is an is a negative. You can you know. Ideal can be a negative thing, right? It's it's a negative ideal. It's something you know. It's it's oppression and privilege and theft and and rape and violence, um, uh, and and assimilation, and that needs to be actively sort of rejected. Okay. Um, so in their discourse, you get this sort of this discourse of purity. It's like we need centering. That's what centering is. Centering is social and psychological purity. Of, of making sure that the space and the psyche is centered around the just um, and authentic the just and authentic thing which is blackness and rejecting the the sort of malevolent um, uh, uh, negative influence of whiteness so mm -hmm. it's a real you get a real purity discussion going on yeah and I think that feeds into what some other people are talking about this as sort of framing it as a religion there's there's very, that's very much so a religious way to think um, maybe not in in Eastern religions, there's a lot of like purifying the self and purifying the society and things like okay. that. So yeah. that that suggests that the people who are looking at it that way might be right. In a certain sense, the uh, canoe meeting and then the day of absence, they operated on one level as kind of just community things, kind of hokey things that the, the college was doing. But because they relied on religious symbolism and ceremony... And because they approached things as a religious, in, in a religious attitude. I don't, did you watch the canoe oh, yeah. meeting? Oh, yeah. Uh, so you know the tone of that room. I was in that room. The, the tone was very, very thick, right? And then the even though the day of absence, we can argue and meddle, did they want to be segregated? Uh, did they want to kick white people off campus? But the fact that they did set that up to center the students of color implemented that on the level of the institution that we are centering uh, this group is sacred. They, they kind of, they circled around at the end of the canoe meeting, they all walked out the door and then they circled around the black students and they sang songs. So they literally like oh, summoned, wow. that's not on film, that was just... Wow, that's fascinating. The canoe, I, I spent a lot of time in, in the appendix of my research, there's a, hmm. there's a, uh, basically an interpretation of the canoe meeting. Um, and I think it's, I, I, I think it's, there's a lot to it. I think it's really symbolic of the way that they see the world, right? It's, mm. it's the few things that I looked at were like, one was boarding permissions. Cause you know, there's like seven, there was like however many people, 15 or so people who gave the, the spiel, like, why am I getting on? They said something before they boarded the canoe. Right. Mm. And I looked at it in terms of boarding permissions in that. Who has permission to board? Who gives permission to board? And who must request it? Right? Yeah. And the, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but um, there, weren't, there were no black students who requested permission. Many of... They were ordered by Shamerica to get up. Yeah, and then there was that. And then she invited li physically, literally, all of the black students in the room to join the canoe. Yeah, in front. In front. In, 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 and in front of the canoe, yeah. too. Right? 
Now, if you know anything about a canoe, you know, it'll tip. But, <laughs> but um, don't worry, it tipped. It tipped, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, all the, all the black students get on the front of the canoe, and then th- there were people, and then the people who requested permission were always white students, well, white faculty, mostly faculty, faculty white faculty. And then the people who gave permission were always students of color. Okay. That's not irrelevant, right? I know it's a, it's a small sample size. It's like 17 people. But it's not irrelevant that a certain group of people had to ask to get on and another group of people gave permission. Okay. That's not irrelevant. I think that's very symbolic of the way that they see the world. And then, yeah, the black students get on front of the, the canoe and then they lead the entire you know group the of campus they lead the campus they I mean, say the the professors and the one after the main protest when they justify the students say that the students led us the students yeah. are leading us um which is an interesting question like did you not put them up to do that you know so are you leading the leaders you right. know, with regards to a couple of uh, actors and stuff like that yeah yeah i uh, yeah i i and i think that's part of the political story here is that you do have like le- leaders in the institution who are yeah sort of fostering this um yeah that's definitely there do you think that the may uprising was inevitable do you think that things were put in place, and how do you how do you make sense of it as as an event? Oh, was it inevitable? Well, I think a lot of things came together to make this happen. If Trump lost the election, would did, do you think this would have happened? May I don't know. May, maybe because that's a pretty world shattering. If I mean, if you think that there's no chance that he wins. And he's the incarnation of pure evil, and he wins. Yeah, you're, it's going to rip your world apart, and it obviously did. I mean, the canoe meeting was like a week after the election. Yeah, um, that's so. That's a part of this. Um, there were there was the police shooting of I think it was two black brothers. Yeah, off campus. Andre and Bryson. Yeah, but that was, and that was in 2015. Right. Yeah, but that's still like in the yeah. ether, right? Um, that's a part of it, and then. Brett, you know, he was a stick. He was a stick in the mud about this thing. He okay. objected to it. He wasn't going along with it. So now you have this. Um, you, you have the the world is like unstable because Trump's elected, right? You have these, you know, it, it, they, images of violence. Images of violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually think the fact that they're in Olympia, it, it's a place like this, plays a role in it as well, because you have. Because I was just, I'm just driving around and looking at things and looking at people, and you have this somewhat progressive, like center, surrounded by more conservative. You know, there's white guys with goatees and trucks with caps on driving trucks around. Like yeah. that's a that's a sketchy image for someone who might have come from a city yeah. into here. Yeah. Uh, so that that context is a part of it. And then Brett, you know, he he becomes like an an icon of the opposition. Right, he's because he he says, you know, I'm not going to do this. You know, why is that so galvanizing? For oh, because you know, having oppos- opposition is amplified, right? Because you have something to fight against. I mean, you have an enemy. There's an enemy at the gate. There's someone who embodies. It's not this amorphous thing of badness. It's like it has a face. It has a classroom. It has an address. 
you can you can you know symbolically slay the dragon you know um hmm. that's why i mean opposition is very amplifying um yeah and that's what brett was i think why do you think they treated what's your take on their treatment of george bridges then and then his response to that what how do you make sense of that because he was he was giving them yeah. everything they wanted and they kept on yeah pillaring him I really feel bad for George Bridges. Yeah. Watching all this footage, I, I got a lot of sympathy for him. Um, and before I did this project, I kind of, I kind of thought, you know, he's a bit of a schmuck. He's just an actor in this. Mm. You know, I feel really, really bad for that guy because you can see that he's trying to do what he thinks is is right. That's got to count for something. Um, but these people, I don't think he get the whole worldview. I think he, he understands some of it, but he's learning as he goes along. Because okay. I don't think he sees that he... I think he probably has an older view of the self. Like, I'm an individual that has some sort of <laughs> racial modifiers, that you know, privilege and things like yeah, that, okay. and I need to work on that. But they see him as white guy. White people. Um, yeah. So I, I think there was a little bit of... Conf, like, a little bit of misunderstanding oh, okay. lost lost in translation there hmm. um why did they keep treating him like that man part of it can be because part of this might not have anything to do with the worldview part of it just might be that if you make it okay for people to abuse people they might some people might some people are psychopaths you know some people just like abusing yeah. people who like that they can get away with abusing um and they they really i mean i don't think it's a stretch to say that those students abused George Bridges. I don't think that's a stretch to say. Hmm. Um, I don't, I, uh, what do you think? Are you... Oh, kitty on... <laughs> did she stop the recording? No, don't do that. <laughs> Here you go. Oh. Uh, but, I mean, what do you think, George? I have a... I'm almost done with my report, and um, I want I, I have to say this out loud so I don't forget it. I want to okay. know what you think the students want. Okay. Because that's somebody. People watch my documentary like, but what do they want? <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, they want what they want. Uh, I have a problem with Bridges because he changes shape depending on who he's speaking to, and he's not very consistent from one group to the next. He's always playing towards winning, um, so I don't see him as a truthful person. Mm -hmm. uh, there's too many lies, mm -hmm. um, so I have a hard time having respect for him. Um, and plus. Uh, the report that comes out a year after the protests was independent reports staffed by people that he knew for 20 years that completely praised him okay, and admonished, admonished um, Brett Weinstein. Blamed it all on Brett Weinstein and Charlottesville, which happened three, three months later. So okay. uh, I, there's too many things for me to really see it clearly. So what I'm trying to do is get into the position where I can be kind of object, objective and do one episode just concentrating on his behavior through the whole thing so we can see what I perceive of as inconsistency. Um, but he's, he's playing at another game, and I think he's playing through a bureaucratic mindset that he's got bosses, and he's a boss, and so he's part of a chain of command, and it's a part of this whole machinery of Washington State. I think he's just he's a piece of the Washington State machinery, which works all the way up to the governor and the legislature. So there's so many moving parts that we don't really know, like the grand plan. And he, so he's he's running 
some plan you never know. So th- that's the only way I can make sense of inconsistencies uh, is that he's he's got a higher ideal. There. Yeah, there's a, there's a higher um, aim to it, and he's playing politics yeah. as he can to get to that. To get that that might, that very well might be the case. Yeah. Um, and and maybe he's and, and maybe he's betting that he can get you know the energy of these students. He can be at the front of it as. <laughs> A good guy, right? He can be a symbol of good with this lots of you know energetic students behind him, mm-hmm. and maybe he's just gambling on that. Yeah. Um, could be. I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. So, what do you think the students wanted? Yeah, hard to. I mean, you. There's a couple of answers to that. A lot of times they say what they want. You know, we want to get rid of the police. We want to disarm the police. We want to get get them off campus. We want we want Brett to be fired. We want to hire more faculty of color. Oh, Kitty's going to stop it again. Why do you have to be in one place you're not supposed to be? A very critical producer you have. Yeah, like I said. Um, they so there are these individual asks that they have, but what do you think is the desire or the end goal of the movement? Have you seen that? Do you have like a... Does, or is it just the manifestation of a morality that they're playing? I think it's more of that. I, I think. I, I think it's more of that. I, I think this is just the way that their social order is bound to manifest based on the foundations of their belief system. That's just the way that it would manifest. Hmm. And what they want is to express. They want to express the belief system implicated. They, they, excuse me. They want to express the society implicated by their belief system. Okay, that's what I think. It, do, does it have an aim? Yeah, maybe the aim is the manifestation of that belief system. Okay, or that society implicated, um, which would look like. What would it look like? Yeah, it wouldn't look good. Um, <laughs> I don't think it would look good at all. You, you have. I mean, what I'm what I would describe it would sound tyrannical and racist. <laughs> it's this. It's a society where positions of power are occupied by people based on the color because they have the right color skin color, um, and that another group of people has to um, live for that other group. Um, so the allies. Are the ally is not the correct term. They would be serfs. Serfs, yeah, right, right. Maybe, maybe serfs. Is that what you see? That, that yeah, I mean, be, would it, would the out the end goal be segregation or some sort of apartheid? I mean, with a dominant and a subdominant group. Like yeah, yeah. If, if you fully yeah, if this was fully played out, it would be massively segregated. Like maybe this is a better way to put it. If this way of seeing the world is fully mainstreamed, right? I know it's leaking out into... I mean, I think a lot of what we see today is kind of like this. Um, If this is fully mainstreamed, if this is deeply embedded in educational institutions and in pedagogy and in government, and if this is just like the way that the world, or let's say the country, goes, that's the end of pluralism. It's the end of the American melting pot, right? You can't get along with people... If, if you separate people, if people aren't individuals and people are only parts of larger ethnic collectives that have particular moral status based on the history of their ethnic group, that you can't have pluralism, right? We, you know, if you and I were of different races, we couldn't be friends, 
right? We're, we couldn't even talk to each other. And if you have a worldview like that, hmm. I mean, that, I, I don't see how any kind of peaceful society is sustained, you know? I'm a little, I'm quite pessimistic okay. <laughs> about it. Because um, I think there's some people who kind of laugh about this in Evergreen, who it's like, well, you know, the left eats itself. Yeah. Right? The left, oh, well, they're eat, they're, they'll eat themselves. It's like, well, they might, but they're going to eat everybody else first. <laughs> they have to eat all through the right and the center and then the moderate left before they start eating <laughs> themselves. So I don't take, you know, cold comfort <laughs> in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And do you have an idea of where it came from or kind of the origin of that? And you don't have to go through the whole James right, Lindsay, right, Helen right. Pluckroth things, but what do you think? Okay. What are some of the core animating principles? I think you've already laid them out, but, but you said that it's based in this conception of the ethnic group as, as an essential property of a person mm -hmm. that has relative moral weight. And so that should be arrived through this process that we call equity. Is that I, yeah, and I think I think equity is is the. I mean, if if we're looking at it like religion, that's the scripture, right? That's like the the way that they f describe what they believe in a sort of the content, right? That's that's the moral content described. Um, yeah, how do we? How did they get here? I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how we got here. Um, I, this is a question that I'm interested in doing some f future research on because I think there's some like cultural evolution um, and th like the James Lindsay Helen Pluckrose thing. I think they get quite a lot right. Um, I think a lot of these ideas are transmitted through teachers. I, I mean, that's not a, a particularly. I mean, that's tr obvious kind of. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think there is some something going on with social media. I think that's playing. That, that's a part of how these ideas are spreading yeah. um, and how they're in my view kind of getting crude there's a crudeness to the ideas it's they're, they're not particularly nuanced, nuanced. Yeah, no. um, and I can't help but think that social media plays a role in that because you're seeing the other not as this full sort of human you know with individual traits and characteristics you're seeing him as like you know Trump supporter white guy black guy mm -hmm. and the crudeness of this worldview seems to reflect that. So I, I think that's part of part of the story, but I'm not quite sure how we got here. Trolls and snowflakes. Troll, yeah, it's all the trolls. End of the, west. <laughs> the end of the west. <laughs> yeah, right. right. There was another question. Did you um, did you get a chance to look through the social media aspect of it? And I, I haven't been able to pull everything up, but what do you think? What do you perceive the social media role was in there? Um, I, I coded some social media posts. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that social media... Here's, here's, here's one mechanism in social media. And the idea is um, networks. Uh, hmm. So you can have a closed network or an open network. So an open network is where people within the network, they don't all know each other, right? Like, I know you, and you know 10 people, and I know 10 people, but our 10 people don't know each other. It's an open, right? Open network. Hmm. Closed network is where you and I know each other, and everyone we know also knows each other. Yeah. I think social media 
makes people like makes closed networks, right? Because everyone in this in, in here, they all know each other. They all know each other's names, what they say, what they do, where they go to school. Yeah. Um, and what a closed network does is it increases the cost of norm violation. Because if that network has some sort of norm, like this world, like the worldview has loads of norms, and if you violate that norm, everyone you know will come down on your head. You know no one else. Everyone, you know, you, you have no other friend group to go to, right? The entire world will come down on your head. If you have an open network and someone says, I think what you said was terrible, you say, well, it's, that sucks, but I'm going to go hang out with my other buds, right? Yeah. So th that's a mechanism in social media is that it, I, I think that occurred in, at Evergreen, is that network became really closed and really tight. Okay. And then as soon as those norms started getting violated, major sanctions started coming down okay. on Brett, right? Yeah. And other people. Yeah, and Kiave. Yes. What do you think is the aspect of having a... Uh, do you know any, of any literature about this, about um, certain closed groups or communities that have a high moral uh, kind of aptitude or a very strong moral... Uh, reflex to it because it seems like at the Evergreen State College one thing that caused it to get so rowdy was that there was a really strong moral reflex there was a right and a wrong is there is that always to be the case in certain things and what are the aspects that lead a community towards that place well, that's very often the case um, there's <laughs> s s loads of very small insular thick ethnic communities all across all across the world but like all across the thick is a thick thick yeah so culturally thick there's the the belief system um, tells you quite a, quite a lot, you know, it's deeply embedded in everything you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. as opposed to our thin liberal a la carte yeah. culture, right? Waspy, weird yeah, right. stuff, yeah. Um, hmm. So, like, there's um, the Kiris Joel Jewish community in New York is an example of that. It's a, it's a really orthodox Jewish community. There's loads of orthodox Jewish communities around. The Amish are an example of this. Um, plenty others. Um, when, and I think this is an example of that, um, of the, 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 these thick, these insular, small insular ethnic communities, certainly they almost always have a strong moral grounding in something. Um, and that shapes everything else that they do or bat, or informs everything else that they do. Um, I don't think there's any, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if people want to live like that, that's their choice. You know, I'm a very permissive kind of pluralist, like you do you. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is when that kind of morality tries to become everything, you get a problem. It, mm. Those small communities need to be options within a larger pluralistic framework. Okay. If that makes sense. So, like, people like uh, the Evergreen thing. If you want to live that way, live that way. If that's the way you want to see the world, that's fine. You can see the world that way. Yeah. But the, the line has to be drawn with... You can't make me see the world your way. I have to be able to choose my own life as well. Okay. And that's, I think, and that's pluralism. That's just how. That's interesting because that was operative in my experience there is that we had to see the world this way. You had to see this world or you had to at least go through the motions of seeing the world this way. You couldn't actually disagree with that worldview. It was just, it was constantly being really? proposed and proposed and proposed and proposed. And I really do think that they should just take that liberal 
part out of the arts, you know, and just like kind of put that aside because it's no longer liberal at that point when you are orthodox. It's maybe like yeah. an orthodox arts college or yeah, it's a very social justice orthodox. Yeah, it's a very um, unsophisticated way to think about diversity. It's like, well, people are different skin colors, therefore we're diverse. It's like, well, yeah, but they all think you're, you're making them all think the same. Yeah. That's not diversity. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I suspected that that's how it was there at Evergreen, um, and that's very unfortunate. And be, because when, when it starts doing that, I don't think it can stop. I, yeah, it amplifies, yeah. right? Because that minority, let's say it's forty, let's say sixty percent of them have this worldview and they're really loud about it, and you have this quiet minority who's like, ah, fine, whatever. I'll go. I'll play the motions. That minority gets smaller and smaller. Um, that's why you need. I mean, I'm a big proponent of viewpoint diversity. You you need mm. someone who disagrees. You need conservatives in liberal institutions, and you need you know progressives in conservative institutions. Because otherwise, you you know these institutions often creep towards totalitarianism if the principles underlying it un- underlying it um, aren't. Like consciously about pluralism and okay. viewpoint diversity. Hmm. Do you think that it's possible for uh, the same sort of situation to work out without it being based on? Let me rephrase this. Yeah. Because you said when you're kind of describing how this thing is built, you, you said it, it's based on this, this ethnic essentialism or this racial essentialism, which just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. But it's still, at the same time, it's very attractive, and they really pushed that in all the trainings. It's like I am privileged because of white. I am I am underprivileged because of black. And and the race thing was one aspect of it because there was this there was other identities that got power and privilege in in that whole thing. Yeah, disability status and trans status. Well, what I saw, and you uh, you tell me what you think. I don't think that any aspect of identity transcends the fundamental division between. POC and non-POC, the way that I I, I saw them operating. Hmm. I don't think anything transcends that. I think those are modifiers, Hmm. right? Um, Like a within-class modifier, like you can have a high-status, low-class person. So like, let's say a gay white person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or a low-status POC, let's say a straight Hispanic guy or something. Um, But I I didn't see anything that transcended that. It's not like there's ever a gay white guy who can like wag, wag his finger at a black woman no. or a black or a black or a gay black guy like it never unless the black person wanted to go into the science building or unless the black person was active acting white so that's actually really i'm really glad you bring that up which is horrible to say but this is actually no yeah 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 this is actually how how it works that's how they say yeah yeah and the way that i've the way that I kind of wrap my head around this is let, let me make a very somewhat controversial parallel to the Indian caste system Okay. right now. I don't want to say that this is a caste system strictly, um, but you have the sort of in-group caste, right? Where, and there's, there's levels of, of, you know, the, hmm. the lower level and then the higher level, Brahmins and, and what have you. But all of that sits atop the outcast, which is the lower level group of people who aren't in the caste system, right? Mm-hmm. I think that shape is going on here because you have in caste people and then you have outcast people, which are 
blacks that go to the science building, or who who, who are, don't reject whiteness, or who yeah. are let's say conservative, like or just say I'm not oppressed, or not oppressed, something like that. Yeah. Like you're an outcast now. So, you, so you're right. It can be transcended as when that person doesn't mm. buy into the belief system. That then that person is just an outcast, and the whole pyramid sits atop that. Mm. And I think that's actually someone asked me a very good question early in this research, which was. Why would any white guy exactly buy, do this? Yeah, right. And as you know, and I'm I'm interested in rational choice and things like that. So that's a that's a pretty like yeah. Why would he choose that? It doesn't seem particularly rational to do that. It doesn't seem like that's just doesn't seem to bring him any utility. It doesn't seem to be very good for you to buy into that. So I it, it took a while, but I think the answer is yes. You're at the bottom of this hierarchy. You're at the bottom of this pyramid, but the pyramid sits atop the world. Right? That's why. Hmm. Is because, yeah, you're low status, but you're low status atop the rest of the unwashed, uneducated masses that okay. you have moral status over, and yeah. you can educate, and you can, you can largely hate, yeah. and you can, you know... It, anyways, I, I think that's why. It's because it's not actually at the bottom. It's the bottom at the top. The redeemed ally kind of thing. Yeah. Huh. It's also a good narrative. What do you mean? I, I mean, everyone loves the reformed Nazi, right? Every everyone, oh, right? Okay. It's yeah. like yeah, I the used, male feminist. The, yeah, yes, yeah, huh. yeah. It's because well, I used to be that, but now I do that. And you know, it's good to reform Nazis. Don't get me wrong, but that like huh. I was on their side. Now I'm here. The def it's a defector narrative kind of thing. Huh. Like the North Koreans love those couple of Americans who defected to North Korea. They're heroes, right? Because mm -hmm. it's that. It's a great narrative. It's a great story. And it is. Can this become stable? It was instable at Evergreen. It's, uh, we look at Portland and Seattle. We see a lot of the aspects, like Chaz fell apart. Um, these democratic cities are falling apart. It seems like they're the ones who are most likely to implement this. Uh, do you think that it could be stabilized? Do you think that it, it's possible? No. No, no, because you have to force people to believe things. I don't think you can do like that. Like what? What do you have to force them? Like, like you have to force, like you have to force someone into taking guilt for something he doesn't realize, think that he's done. Right? Okay. That's a hard sell to a lot of people. Um, it's engineered. It's engineered. It's very engineered. Hmm. And I don't think any system that is engineered, any social system that is engineered, hmm. like has this really set like force to make out everything okay. one way. I don't think that ever works. I think systems have to be social systems have to be emergent, not engineered. Okay, I'm going to push against that because sure. you look at the West Coast uh, school system, mm -hmm. and they are implementing this stuff right now. They're like they're teaching children five, six, seven, eight year olds and on that here's the caste system. The Black Lives Matter, which doesn't just mean Black Lives Matter, it's it's packaged with all this oppression, white privilege. Privilege is kinda of like the I, I guess that's the, the gateway drug to this thing, like accept your privilege. So if how do you see it playing out if there's a an entire if you were grow if you grew up with this stuff, how would that right. eventually manifest in anxiety or right. in purpose. Do you have any guesses in that? Right. Question? Yeah. Um, no. That that's actually that's that's a really good point. Like if you if you ed, you know if you if everyone was forced to go into mandatory equity education, yeah, everyone would probably believe that, and there would be a small minority of people who didn't. Um, 
what does that do for people? I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I definitely think there's, there's real serious mental issues that will go along with thinking that you're one of the worst things that's ever existed. And that, and that's what this is. Cause there's, I mean, in, in my research, I call this ethno historical determinism. And the idea is that it is not the content of your character, but the character of the history of your ethnicity that determines your virtue. Okay. Right. So what that means is I'm responsible for slavery. I did that. Not someone who looked like me. I actually carry the weight of that. Um, and, and all, you know, all sorts of other terrible, terrible things that a mostly white government did do to, to minorities. Mm -hmm. I did that that's not going to be good for people's mental health to walk through the world thinking they're, they've done all this. Um, that's not going to be good for people's mental health at all. Um, but beyond that, um, does it benefit the people who uh, now can justify their lower status by saying that it's the white man's fault? Does it create harmony in the mental health of the people who buy into the victim narrative? Maybe like, does the uh, well, what's it called when you you have you've done a sin but you get it absol absolved? Yeah, does, absolution. Does does the absolution actually have some sort of psychological like piecing? You know, some sort of good psychological effect? Maybe I, I don't know. Um, it could. Uh, I'm I'm worried that it wouldn't for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. So when did you submit your dissertation? My, my thesis. I, thesis. Submi I submitted it um, earlier this month. Oh, okay. Earlier this month, yeah. And so, but you were working on it come like May 26th or so like that. Of this year? Yeah, you were, you oh. were just like hold away in the library. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've been working on this project since like November of last year. Okay, yeah. Because I had to do, like I had to get my data. I had to process the data, which took me like four <laughs> months of sitting at my computer just coding. Um, and then I wrote for two and a half months, maybe. And then, yeah, and I was holed away, just mm -hmm. writing. Um, what, what happened when you looked outside and Chicago was burning and, and every, the world you was... see, I told you. Hey, yeah. hey, ho, ho. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, what, what did that do to you? Like, how did that feel like when it... Oh, not good. Out? Not good. I would did really... Did you see a lot of similarities? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in um, Chicago, the University of Chicago is in Hyde Park, which is a little suburb just like south of the, the main city. Um, and some of the, most of the protests were kept to like city center, but some came down to Hyde Park where I was. So I was watching the protests on TV because there were news, you know, and the, the, they came right outside my building. Um, and what was really weird was some of the language uh, like that I saw at Evergreen, like guys who were smashing buildings were saying, like they were talking about white privilege, mm -hmm. right? Which only really existed, I think, as far as I know, only really existed in like ac you know, academia or like you know, elite liberal, white liberals, right? That, that was kind of a word that they used a lot and it was in academia. But to see just these like Chicago dudes who aren't in academia, who, who aren't white liberals, uh, using this same language it's like wow this got all the way down okay. to the bottom um and i'm not I'm, I'm really not 
excited about that. <laughs> I'm very worried. Huh. Do you have any like inklings of advice to uh, to navigate this time for people or or insight? How, how have you decided to go about taking your data, taking your lesson and like retrofitting it to this? You might even not need to do too much retrofitting because it seems to me, but I'm very prejudiced because I'm steeped in this stuff. I when this happened in June, I'm like, oh my god! Like I was, I was receiving emails showing that the same training is now being installed that I had to go through, and the same uh, protests are going on. Like, well, what what do I do now? How do I? The whole world got in the canoe, and now it's <laughs> sinking. Um, what do you do now? Yeah, what do you do, dude? I don't know, man. Um, can you at least can we at least make sense of what's happening and how would we yeah. make sense of it using the tool of this uh, ethno determinism? Yeah, yeah, ethno historical. The, the things that I think really make today's sort of what's going on today make sense are it's ethno race consciousness and ethno historical determinism, right? Which is basically just parts of ethno collectivism. It's very collectivistic. Okay. Um, and you can you can understand it that way. It's like, oh yes, the, the, these people see themselves as fundamentally their ethnic group, and the moral virtue of them today is based on the history of that ethnic group, which isn't new, and it's not left. It's not particularly a left. It's not only a left wing phenomenon. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing that the far right guys, yeah. the white the white nationalist types, they do. Like, it's pretty damn similar. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we can understand it that way, but like once we understand it, now what do we do? Yeah. Well, we, you need people like you <laughs> who are critical of this. You, it needs to be okay to be critical of this, and oh. the only way that that happens is if more people are critical of it. It's like I don't, I don't consider myself. I'm not going to take the weight of all the ill things that white people have ever done. That's not my fault, and I'm I'm okay saying that. <laughs> you know, I I'm you know. I'm not Andrew Jackson. Um, uh, things like that and criticisms of this worldview need to be okay to be said. So you need this is where critics really come in okay. and, are, and are important. Um, but I, I think that the, I don't know how. I, like I said, I'm kind of a pessimist. I'm not very optimistic about where we go from here because, like you said, California. This is in it's in pedagogy, right? Yeah. How do you stop that? It's in pedagogy. They're they're voting. They're they brought it up to vote in this fall. The legislature, like they want to like take anti discrimination out of the law and say so. It's okay for us to discriminate right, based on race. Yeah, for of equity, of course, for of course, because you have to in order to make a just society. Okay. You have to discriminate against certain people because those people are bad, right? In the same way that we throw criminals in jail, we discriminate against them, but they've done something bad. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, like, well, you know, if I had kids, I'd be homeschooling my kids. I'm not saying, I, you know, I wouldn't be sending my kids to any institution that teaches this. Um, I would be seriously, you know, if I was a, if I was a parent with college age kids, I'd be seriously questioning, should you send your kids to college? You know, there's other things kids can do. There's lots of other things they can do that are great for them. Yeah. If it's just work or apprentice or do like I, you know, I, after I graduated undergrad, I, um, taught English abroad, and you can do that without a college degree. In a lot of in Vietnam, you can do that. Um, uh, but where where do we put in the intervention? 
<laughs> Man, I really don't know. Um, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see lots and lots of co negative consequences of this kind of okay. this kind of belief. I think there's going to be more riots. There's going to be more issues. There's going to be a lot more people killed. Um, there's going to be massive, more, a lot more discrimination cases. Um, you know, the Yale, you know, discrimination against Asians and whites, that thing. Um, there's going to be a lot more of that. There's going to be more lawsuits. Um, and and maybe it's maybe it's the law that finally has some sort of suppressing mm. force because you know if you you know the law is you can't discriminate. I know they're trying to change that. Yeah. But you know, it, use the law, sue people. This is America, baby. <laughs> you know, sue their <laughs> pants off. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure where interventions can kind of come in. Um, it's tough. It's really tough. How was uh, the University of Chicago? If you gave it an equity grade or a social justice uh, grade, did you feel like you had academic freedom? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look what I researched. Absolutely. And I have. I won't. I won't tell you about them. But I have colleagues doing research that is the most radioactive research I could possibly imagine them doing. Anybody does it, doing? Does it rhyme with I and Q? Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, yes, it does. Um, yeah. And, you know, brilliant, brilliant researchers doing really interesting research, not like, you know, malevolent mustache twist. Why know, not twisting. a little bit? Why not a little bit, right? <laughs> um, no, and, and it's... No, I, you, you can basically research anything, no matter how controversial it is at UC, which is good. Excellent. I don't think that's true in every department. Um, like, a lot of my research was done under, like, kind of within the sociology the folks, because um, a lot of it's sociological, and that I got a lot of pushback from them, particularly about s some of the ways I described that, like some of the feedback I got on some of my drafts. And I, I, I really love this person who, uh, who I worked with, who gave me these this feedback. Um, but some of the feedback would be like, I'd say something like, you know, they see the world X way, and then the, the margin, the comment would be, yeah, and what's wrong with that? More or less, it's like, <laughs> well, no, hang on. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, but, but broadly, UC's really, really good. Now, will it always be that way? No. No, I don't think it'll be that way it's at all. It's coming down the pipes then, you think? Yeah, because institutions don't have principles. People do. And an institution only has principles insofar as its constituent yeah. members uphold those. Yeah. And the big free speech and academic, you know, open inquiry, academic freedom folks, they're older. Yeah. They're older, like established academics. Um, and they're going to retire. And the people that I see coming on board, with some exceptions, um, are not particularly into this. So I don't think yeah. UC... I mean, UC is a... It's the bulwark of academic inquiry and open expression and free expression. And I, that's, why I, that's why I went there. Um, hmm. But it won't be that way. I'm worried that it'll, it'll be gone in 10 or 20 years. I, th I think it'll be like any, anywhere else. I do see, and I, somebody might eventually write about this, but I do think that Evergreen was kind of at the forefront of a lot of this stuff, and part of the forefront was the regime change. They kind of accelerated just the way that the hiring mm -hmm. practices happen. Uh, they kind of accelerated and, and refreshed that old liberal guard with uh, yep. the you know, more radical guard yep. sooner than, than other institutions. Yep, yep, and I, 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 and that's that's 
I, I think that's the way it goes in a lot of places. You know, you have, you, you it, particularly in, like, you have diversity, you know, they're called different things, but, like, a diversity, um, what, a department, council. You, you, University of Chicago has one. Yeah. It's huge. The building is pristine. There's so much money spent on this. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> yeah, really cool. Um, I guess I studied the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I think when you replace, cause this, I mean, it's, it all, golly, it, it almost seems like if I was conspiratorial, I would think this is, there's a cabal of social justice types pulling the levers. Cause it almost seems that that way. Cause it's getting into education and it's getting into hiring practices. Yeah. And if you educate people only in a certain way and you only hire people who believe a certain thing, then the whole fucking thing is going to yeah. go that direction. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. No, no, it they've seems... done really good. If the, whether intentionally or not, they really set it's, us up for success. It's impressive. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, right. So, what are you going to do now that you have such a master's degree? Yeah, um, well, I'm I'm applying to. Right now, I'm writing some a research proposal for for another PhD program. Um, uh, hopefully, that comes through. Still around culture and and the development of culture and cultural psychology. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but right now, you know, yeah, what happens next? We'll see. Um, I, I, I sadly suffer the end of Western civilization with the rest of us, <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully I would like to keep talking more about these ideas and cause unfortunately, and I, I want to, and I think you, you've, you've been good at this is like making this kind of discussion legitimate. Like it's legitimate to have a real intellectual conversation about the implications of social justice warrior ideology, if that's what we want to call it. Um, because, you know, four years ago, it was like SJW cringe compilations, yeah, 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 yeah. right? And yeah. it was a joke. It was a joke. Um, but I, I think it's become legitimate to talk about it. And I think that's, part, that's a conversation I would like to keep being a part of. Um, and I write... You know, I write op-eds and articles, kind of talking about this in different ways, trying to trying to analyze stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I hope to keep keep doing stuff like that. But we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Are you uh, are you adjacent to some problematic? What's the most problematic adjacency? Oh, I'm, I'm deeply problematic. <laughs> no, you, you're I'm not deep. even adjacent. You, you, I'm de- <laughs> you keep it inside. Yeah, right. I, I no, I'm not a. Uh, I'm I'm not some like far right guy. I'm I'm I'm, you know, I'm a big umbrella libertarian. I'm mm. a, I'm a I'm a voluntarist. I think mm. action should be voluntary, and then my politics come down from there. Um, yeah, my most problematic stuff is just about like yeah, no, I think you should be free to own like lots of weapons, and I think you should be free to do math, or I think you should be free to be a prostitute. Like I don't, mm. and that's problematic to all different yeah, yeah, sides. Yeah, you just pissed off like yeah, everybody to fifty percent of the right, audience, yeah, just right yeah, there. Yeah, right. Um, that's my problematic stuff, but mm. I I don't, you know, that's. I don't want, you know, I don't want to just be some pro- like provocateur or someone who yeah. who upsets people. My my point is, my I'm really genuinely interested in this stuff, I, you know, and I've got my own politics, um, mm. but I just want to understand the way that this is going because mm. I'm, I just I don't now I think I kind of get it. I just didn't get it, and maybe that's a little bit of 
like social ineptitude on my part that I just didn't quite, it didn't quite grab me. Like I think it, like evergreen, like it didn't quite, or, or the, the, that sort of equity ideology. It okay. didn't quite, it didn't just like, yeah, no, that makes sense. No, it was like, whoa, what is this? I don't get this. Yeah. So now I think I understand it and I want to keep trying to understand. Do you it. think that evergreen is a legitimate uh, data point and explaining this ideology to people, or do you think it's a complete outlier? It's neither. It's neither a complete outlier, and it's neither paradigm, a world right? in it. Yeah, okay. it's not the world in a teacup, right? Okay. I, I want to okay. be pretty careful about generalizing out from this because this is one. It's one thing that happened in 2016, 2017, um, with a couple hundred people. Like I can't tell you the story of the universe based on that, right? Um, but I think there are insights from Evergreen okay. that are useful for understanding other things. And the cluster of like ideas that I characterize in my research, maybe that's useful for understanding other sort of campus events. Like if there is ethno-race consciousness, maybe there's also ethno-historical determinism because mm. they're, they're interdependent. So um, mm. maybe it's, it, it helps us understand other things. But yeah... It, it, it's a good little case study yeah. of a kind of thinking really like fully explicated and manifest like socially in in their the proximal society um, but I don't necessarily think we can understand all of America yeah like America is an evergreen and I hope it continues to not be <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll poor beer to that <laughs> but outside cool thanks for thanks for doing that work thanks for legitimizing me well yeah I feel so validated I, well, I, <laughs> <laughs> well I mean like I really I mean I really do appreciate your work like I couldn't have I couldn't have you collected all this footage and that's huge like that like my research could have happened without that um, so I'm, I'm really grateful that you did that, and you're very gracious to share it with me, also, because I know that's 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 a that's a thing. Um, yeah, and I, I hope it continues to be legitimized, because um, this is re this is a really interesting phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's a really interesting thing that's happening in small pockets like Evergreen, and there's broader trends going yeah. on also. Yeah. It's fascinating, and we shouldn't just chalk it up to politics, or we shouldn't just mm. chalk it up to like radical students run amok, or we should even like. Mm. I'm kind of even a little critical, and I really hesitate to say this because I love their work, and I love their book, and everything. I, I'm a big fan of theirs. Is uh, Lukinoff and Heights Coddling of the American Mind? Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book, but I I worry that. I don't want to medicalize this way of seeing the world. Because okay. a lot of their way of thinking is it's like, well, they're catastrophizing. There's yeah. cognitive sort of, yeah. maybe cognitive pathologies at play here. And that's where the sort of what this worldview is or things like that. And I, I, I hesitate to go down that path fully with them because I think it delegitimizes their world, the, the worldview of like, you know, social justice ideology or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, because it's a real way of seeing the world. They really see the world that way. Yeah. And maybe there's there are certainly consequences to that way of seeing the world. We talk about anxiety. Height and Lukinoff talk about yes. all sorts of issues that happens with it. And those are real. But it's not just that. It's not just like a cognitive, you know, 
issue, then and, the, and then you have this. It's, it's legitimate. Yeah, I have um, an interview coming out soon with uh, sexologist Dr. James Cantor, and he cool. got into a row with on a listserv. Uh, where he posted something. This is this is a completely different conversation. Okay. It's called the Turf War, and J.K. Rowling's involved. Yes, yeah, yep, yeah, this yeah, trans yeah, I'm stuff familiar. Like right. So he just posted a kind of, well, the, the writing wasn't milk toast, but it was kind of just like, we can't use the word turf to describe all these points of view. You know, just like we can't describe transition as just one thing. There's all these different conditions to it. And he just like put that out there, and then he started getting blowback from the radical trans rights activists who saw this as perpetuating harm and there's this whole email chain just like just like at evergreen this whole email chain where it's not about race it's about this this identity um and and i got to this one email and it was just i thought it was a parody because she was saying everything that jameel said everything that naima said about like i'm reading this and it is literally violence to me like this stuff actually takes my identity and and destroys it before my eyes and and like she's going over and over and how i don't want to hear anything back from you because i know my experience and there's nothing that you can do with your science (laughs) to to tell me what i'm really feeling about this you know so basically Long story short, shut the fuck up. Like, which is a refrain at Evergreen that they say over and over and over mm. again. Like, they they will just end the conversation. They'll terminate you yep. in a lot of different ways. So it's and we could describe that way of behavior as narcissistic sociopathy or some sort of histrionic um, personality disorder. But in the context of the group, there's something that's enabling these people to rise up into power and then behave that way without shame. And then nobody. Even n- nobody is allowed to, you know, say well, that is not proper at all, right? So this ideology might facilitate certain sorts of narcissistic sociopathy, but I don't think I think that that's a kind of a consequence to yeah. a foundational principle, and I think it even yeah. possibly enables that people to to act that way, and that might be like where that social media influence comes in, where we're really concentrating on identity as this thing that is seen and validated by other people. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, th- I think I think that's exactly right. And the yeah, the the I'm not too familiar with the the turf turf wars. Is that is that the way it's? I guess. So. Yeah, the turf wars. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with but it. But that's why I moved on from Evergreen to that, because there was a lot, there was the similar behavior yeah. around the activist yep. social justice yes. mindset. Yep. And they were, instead of taking race, which I needed to get away f- from, because it's a very depressing narrative oh, yeah. that yeah. you have to steep yourself yeah. in. Because there's a lot of really terrible stuff that you, that these kids are like being shown about the history. And, yeah. and we can't just erase history, even no. though I can't be, I'm not going to be guilty for it. Like, I need to understand that. And what do you? How do you do? How do you process that information? The tools that they're given to process this stuff, I don't think, are proper. No, they're 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 exacerbating it. The, the tools that they're given are they exacerbate these these sorts of the these trauma. feelings. The, the tra- yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Grasping our identities, deve- identity development. That that phrase, I think I, I think Shamerica huh. said that, or some some other people have, and I've, I've seen that come up. Identity development, or like, well, what, what, what does that mean? Identity development, and I think what it means is is learning how to think of yourself as this big thing. Okay, I think that's what they mean by identity development. So instead of emerging into a self, you're emerging into your group consciousness. Yeah, then. race consciousness. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Wow. And you know, Anne Wortham and um, Ayn Rand uh, 
they talk about this as an issue of self-esteem. They think that you're filling up your lack of individual being with group consciousness, with with, with group identity. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you think that you're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? You're fit, you're riding on their coattails. Is what you're doing. You're you're filling yourself up with this narrative of like other. You're taking other people's accomplishments. Because that's the other thing. You're taking other people's accomplishments and traumas. And traumas, yeah. And I think that, and you, particularly because I, because I'm interested in ethno collectivism, yeah. Sometimes this points me over to the right, uh, also. And yeah. when I've done research on like far right types, um, you know, they, you know, far particularly like white nationalists, they they look back at the history of Europe, right? Yeah. They they look back at you know democracy and Shakespeare and and what yeah. have you, and they say, I did that, yeah. I created penicillin. I did that. Yeah, yeah. I did that. Yeah. And it's like you're a fucking loser, like sitting in your basement, like whatever. Like, yeah. you know, you didn't do that. But but because they're a loser in the basement, their self esteem is like propped up with other people's accomplishments. Um, so that's how like Ayn Rand and Ann Wortham often think, mm-hmm. think about this. Uh, is an issue of self-esteem. I think there's something to that. Yeah. Because your self is... You, you, there's no self. You, you're you this... Body. body you're, that's that's further research that should definitely be done. People definitely... I was going to do it, but I didn't have time to look into body. I, yeah. That's a whole rabbit hole. Body and work. The work. Yeah, the work. The work. K- Kamala oh. just said that. Did she really? She said, there's no vaccine to racism. We must do the work. The work. And what like, does that evergreen? Mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Evergreen flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one. In my first draft, I had like a, a section outlined for for the work, but okay. I just I didn't have time to get into it. Wow. Um, but the, the that's work. The, that's the eschatology. The, that, that's the future. It's like it's never ending. Phyllis F. Spazito in the in the 2016 uh, canoe meeting. This never ends. Uh, right, we have to constantly be doing this. As soon as you think you're done, yeah. Yeah. it's not a destination. Like, you, there, there's no point, plan to do this. You know, it's so it's just perpetual, yeah, toil, suffrage. Yeah, yeah, and huh. it, it, and I, I think any any researchers out there, that's a good project to go into. Look at the work, the capital T, capital W, the work. Um, and I think that tends to, because there's people who are looking at this as a religion. That's the par- yeah. the religious paradigm. John, yeah. I think John McWhorter. McWhorter, yeah. Yeah, he's, he yeah. said he's going to write a book about it. Yeah. That's, how, that's how I came out of the gate swinging. I'm like, this is not, this is not, this is a theology. This is not a theory. Yeah, and I think there's definitely something to that. It's not a theory. It's not a theory. It's a, it's... That's a story. It's a narrative. It's a, it, it's a grand narrative. What's a religion? What's, what's a, a religion is a, a moral framework... It's a grand narrative, and it's 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 a it's a way of seeing the world, right? And behaving in it, and be, and behaving in it yeah. with practices that elaborate all of that. Yeah. It's religion uh, practices. <laughs> That's your definition of religion. Church of Evergreen, man. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it. Um, but I, I think the work is like that kind of captures that religious kind. Yeah. You know, you're. If I was more religious, I'd be able to have... <laughs> if I was religious at all, I'd be able to tell you what the... I'll have to go ask my my very religious girlfriend about, about what the parallel would be with the work. Um, and, yeah, like missionary stuff. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's there, there's... there's uh, 
I think it's I think that kind of analysis is good, and I think that kind of analysis will be will elaborate quite a lot of this. Yeah, there's just a way of speaking that the adherents to this ideology adopt, and it's in their phraseology and it's in their tone, and you can hear it through their clicky keyboards or their touch typing interfaces. Um, there's these way of making a phrase that really lends itself to some sort of religious consciousness or it's it's like a programming that they're using that is it's very crude it's very big capitals very allegorical it's like they're living in some sort of allegory land where everything is really these chunky cartoons and you can make sense of everything and any deviation from that is somehow apologized for or like either swept away or canceled or Mm -hmm. or relegated to the outcast in, in a way mm-hmm. it's a very yeah no I, I, th- I think that's exactly yeah and we're talking about like the nuance like the lack of nuance yeah the lack it's, of nuance it, it's yeah. clunky it's very clunky and that that and the, you're right the way of talking the the, the the way of structuring sentences this all sorts of signaling they do yeah yeah um which a lot of people do that's not them yeah. that's just a thing that humans do you know but it, it seems like I guess this is kind of the point I'm going for. It seems like it, it's it's regressive to an uh, earlier stage of development. In, in a sense, it's kind of like this, uh, you know, kind of like a YA book kind of way of seeing the world. Like you know, it's childish. It's chunky. It's cartoonish. Everything everything's a caricature. There's not a lot of individuality in it. And I, it just it's just interesting to me. Wonder wondering about why that is taking hold of people maybe because it's so accessible for everybody to be in it's a way of being belonging in this world that is so alienated alienating perhaps yeah so i mean we are disconnected and i think i think you know this is a criticism that a lot of like people way to my right make of liberalism and libertarianism that it's this culture destroying force. It's this, it's this atomizing. Yeah. It rips. It's us. not thick enough. It's, no, it's not thick enough. It's too thin. We're, we're pulled too thin, and we're. Yeah. It rips our culture and our history, and now we just become these atomized, floating individuals. Like, uh, and then, then, and then we fill up. We fill that hole with whatever we can, and maybe that's pop culture, or but yeah. maybe it's this sort of like activism, activism thing that yeah. fills you up. Now, I don't think. I disagree with a lot of what they say, but if you are someone who feels like they don't have a history, they are they don't have a, their culture is gone. They don't really have much to like embed themselves in. Yeah, you know you're going to be attracted to 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 something that gives you a way of orienting yourself in reality. Yeah, and which this does it mm-hmm. totally. It gives you like good and bad. Here's what you can do. Here's where are you? Here's where you are. Here's your place in the hierarchy. Like, oh, you know everything you need to know about reality. Um, and it is clunky. It's, it's slightly, maybe cartoonish is right. And maybe that's just because that's, that's very easy for people to grasp. I think a lot of it has to do with social media. You know, how nuanced can you be in 280 words, you know, yeah. with emojis and what, what yeah. have gifs, gifs. Um, yeah, so there's this really, like, it's a compression. There's a lot of compression yes, going yeah. on with these ideas. And you just get these, like representatives that aren't real. Like, that's not quite right, but that's like, it's good enough to make your worldview work, I guess. Hmm. And let me just look at that. Sure. Why were you, 
in your own development mm -hmm. as a thinker, why did you end up going down the path? I guess libertarian is or libertarian yeah, is this kind of thing. Maybe some critical thinking thrown in there as a value. Did what? What makes you inoculated or not desiring to be involved in social justice? Or well, what yeah. turns you off? What didn't turn you on about it? Well, I have a. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of individual rights. I'm a big proponent of individualism, but I'm a big pro proponent of individual rights. And what convinced you that that would be your guiding light? How did I get there? That's yeah. a good question. Because I, you know, I was early, when I was younger, I was like, I would have been like a European socialist type. Um, and then through college... So America's taking care of your security and you just get to, like, run around with free health care? Right, right, right. Well, my, 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 my dad is from England, so some of his politics kind of, okay. like, got into me, I guess. Um, even though he's certainly not that anymore. Um, and I, yeah, so, and I kind of... I think I became kind of conservative through college, which was weird because I was in I was in Western North Carolina growing my whole life, which is super conservative, and oh, I yeah. wasn't conservative at all. I was very lefty, progressive, yeah. um, universal healthcare, all that jazz. Um, and then college, I kind of changed a, a, a little bit. And then after my undergrad, I went out and traveled a bunch. Um, I worked in Japan. I worked in Alaska, um, and I eventually sort of made my way to the, the conclusion that um, anything except individual right, if <laughs> tragedy is personal, it, it, when one person dies, it is a tragedy. When, when one person is violated, it is a tragedy. And anything except a framework of individual rights is bound to violate the individual. And, uh, you know, because it's like, I'm one step from a pacifist, man. Like, you know, you know, violating individuals is a bad thing. It, it, it's, it's terrible. The only time force can ever be used, in my mind, is self, you know, in self-defense. Um, but what, how does that inoculate me? Well, because it's not, it's not, you know, social justice type stuff is very collectivistic. It's very group rights oriented. Okay. And, um, and you, is that a failure of your imagination to not be able to exist on that collective sphere? Or what, could be. What, uh, could be. It, it, it could be. Um, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Okay. I don't get it. It, it's like, it may, it just seems so intuitive to me. It's like, no, I, I, I didn't do, <laughs> I didn't do that. Like, the you know, slavery is an atrocity. I didn't do that, right? That seems very obvious to me that I didn't do that. So anything that says no, you did that, and you're guilty for that, it's like you're you're not living in you're not living in reality, man. Okay, you're living in some, you know, what have you? Some very con thick constructed subjectivity that isn't quite well aligned with the real world. So do you think that privilege is like the light version of collectivism then? Like like just the idea of promulgating yeah, it is collectivist. Do you so how do you approach the idea of, of your privilege? Well certainly I have as a group. As a group. As a group, I reject it entirely. Um, certainly I have privilege. I mean I'm living in America. I'm I'm it's twenty twenty. It's not eighteen twenty. Um you know, uh, 
it's the best time to be alive ever. Uh, that's a privilege. You know, I'm, I'm relatively educated. That's a big privilege. I'm very grateful for that. But there is nothing really about the color of my skin or my sex that as a absolute rule, that as an absolute rule shapes my experience in society and shapes society through me, let's say. Here's an example. You can just, like, there's counterexamples to this. Like, I, I was in a, co a course with someone, and we were talking about white privilege. Um, and, you know, she said, she was a very nice German German um, woman, uh, exchange, not exchange student, but just international student. Um, and she said, we we're talking about whiteness and white privilege. And she said, you know, all white people have white privilege, and they're, they're always going to have a better time than any black person. And so I was like, okay, well, let's bound, because I'm always trying to bound, let's parameterize this. Mm. Okay, you've said something. Okay, to what extent? Is it an absolute or is there a parameter to it? Because once we find that parameter, then we can have a conversation. Wow. So, huh. so I asked her, I was like, okay, a white, uneducated, yeah. drug-addicted, child of a broken home in West Virginia, and Barack Obama, yeah. who has privilege? She said, well, the white guy. It's like, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind if you think that guy has privilege. So she couldn't reel it in. No, no. She's like, and, and then, yeah, because if, if you say, yes, the white guy has privilege, it's like, well, then it's an absolute, it's, a, it's an axiom, right? It's just like, that's how you see the world. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, well, I can't have a conversation with you if this is just your axiom. It's like trying to have a conversation about free will or something. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of fruitless. Yeah. Um, we're doing geometry without Euclid's you know, there you go. four things. Yeah, there you, know. you go. Euclid's four things. Right? <laughs> or is there a five? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. I'm a social scientist. <laughs> That's interesting. So, um, yeah, the, the just trying to navigate the, the part where we try to see where are the axiomatic principles, um, where is the bounds of this stuff. If this is a religion, we can define it as a religion. We can really concretely define it as a religion. We can probably say... Yeah, no more teaching this this to kids in public schools. Yes, yeah, we shouldn't no teach that. No more making corporate headquarters about this stuff. Like this does not belong in a secular environment, right? So right, it, it shouldn't be. I mean, insofar as we separate any religion, any church, and anything, we should also. If if this is that kind of way of thinking, then that's the kind of separation that there should also be. Yeah, you know, if people want to. I, I would just like more transparency about it. Maybe that's yeah, it. Because okay. it's like, if you want to have a Catholic school, yeah, have a Catholic school. Yeah. If you want to have a social justice school, have one. But don't make it the one that all kids have to go to. Right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's shitty. That's violating church and state. Um, yeah, and just tr more transparency about it. To say, like, yes, this is how we see the world and, you know... Because if, if... But, of course, I won't do that. Because the American, like tradition of religious freedom is I have a religion, you don't have to believe it. Yeah. Which is exactly. not what this is about. No, yeah. Right? It's so in its uh, evangelical infancy. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's 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 more like deep, deep fundamentalism. Yeah. It's to you know, kill the non believer sort of ideas. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're on a jihad for sure. Yeah, that's one way to say, <laughs> way to say it. no offense. You know, to, no no, if you want to be, yeah, like I said, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You just can't make other people, you can't force other people to do that at the end of a sword or what have you. 
Um, or a cancellation. Or cancellation. It, that's a that's a that's a rough one. That's that's a really rough one. Um, because on one hand, there are some people who, you know, deserve a lot of criticism. But I think that band has been blown out of proportion. What do you mean? Right. Like anyone who does anything can now lose their job. Some people should lose their job. Like the guy who the commentator who said. Oh God! I remember it years like maybe fifteen years ago because my mom was pissed about it. It was like the commentator who was watching like WNBA who said nappy-headed hoes. Do you remember that? No. Remember that at all? Long time. Google nappy-headed hoes, and okay. and this clip will come up, which is a very racist thing to say about professional black women. You probably shouldn't say that. Okay. And he said it like as he was commentating the sports game, and that was like a, something he said. I was like, that's probably you probably shouldn't have that guy. Commenting the WNBA, I get that one. Oh, this isn't the WWF. This is W. No, no, the oh. W. No, WNBA. Oh, okay. okay. WWF can get away with whatever they want. <laughs> that's that's the Wild West, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I can't remember that guy's name, but like okay. that—that's an instance. It's like, yeah, I get why that guy should lose his job. That's really unprofessional and pretty racist. But you know, someone likes a tweet of whomever. That guy shouldn't lose their job because they like a tweet, yeah. right? So there's a there's a you know there's a creep. Of yeah. This is just becoming everything. And yeah, like I said, like they say, the left will eat themselves eventually, but they'll get through everyone. They'll cancel yeah. everyone else yeah. first, right? Yeah. But, or cast them into the deplorables basket. Well, yeah, the basket, it's right? Getting bigger and it's big, bigger. It's big old basket. <laughs> it's big. You, you can choose the basket or the canoe. Those are your only choices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know where I'm going. Yeah. Give me some wicker time. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, we should wrap this up, okay. and uh, I'm going to put the camera on Bijou, because uh, it'll oh, be yeah. one of my very rare interviews that has cat footage of yeah. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce, or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boys, have a good night.